Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all here on this beautiful July day. We're continuing through the book of Mark. Uh, today we are in chapters 13 and 14. Last week, Sean began the last section. It's actually the last week of Jesus' life. And last week, he talked about riding the donkey in. And uh, chapter 13 and 14 is filled with a lot of material. So as I was preparing, last week, Sean talked about how he prepared. And we got some insight. And we saw that neat clip from The Princess Bride. Anyway... I don't have any clips today, but I, uh, I boiled it all down to two things, and that is God's sovereignty and our responsibility. So this whole passage in chapter 13 goes back and forth between what God does and what is happening, and then it sticks in every once in a while a responsibility that we need to pay attention to. So, uh, Paulina, she wanted me to come up with a title, so I came up with a title called, I'm going to call this, Be Prepared. Now, <clears throat> I grew up in Wisconsin back in the 50s. I was in grade school and junior high. And I was a devout Packer fan, Green Bay Packers. Okay. They uh, were terrible. They were a bad team. But then, in the late 50s, a miracle happened. And we got a new coach for the team. It was his first job as a head coach. He'd been an assistant coach, and I think he had been the head coach at one college team. He had no track record, so Green Bay got him. And for over 50 years, every February, there's a football game called the Super Bowl. And this coach's name is on the trophy. The trophy is named after this guy. Anybody tell me who he is? Vince Lombardi. Thank you. Vince Lombardi came to Green Bay in the late 50s. And he was very simple. He believed in blocking and tackling. But he came to a team that was loosey-goosey, laissez-faire. Uh, Paul Horning was, had been an All-American and I think a Heisman Trophy winner at Notre Dame, and he was a tremendous football player. And there were many good players on the team, but they 
there was no cohesiveness. They just, a lot of them partied, and they just had a bad reputation. Vince Lombardi comes in, and he's got this favorite saying, luck is when preparation meets opportunity. Now think about that. Luck is when preparation meets opportunity. So he began to work those guys out. I mean, he put them through the grinder. And within a year, they had a championship team. That's how good a coach he was. And then he had another championship team, and then another one. And then they had the Super Bowl, and he won the first Super Bowl. And, and then, Wash, then he got transferred to Washington, to the Washington Redskins. But anyway, my point is, I want to talk about being prepared. It is imperative that you and I be prepared. Now, there is a passage in the book of Joshua. Joshua was a servant to Moses for 40 years while they were going through the wilderness. And when they came to the Jordan River, Moses passed on and handed the torch or handed the baton to Joshua. And Joshua became the leader of the people. And his first challenge was going to be Jericho. So he gets just outside of Jericho, and you can read about this in Joshua chapter 5, verse 14 through 16, or 13 through 15. And it goes like this. He's nearing Jericho, and he looks up, and he sees a man standing there with a drawn sword in his hand. And he says something that you and I would probably say. He says to him, are you for us or our enemies? Now, that's a logical question. That's, you know, we all, we all have friends and we have foes. So we want to find people that are on our, our side. We usually don't hang out with people that are on the other side. Whatever that is, could be anything. So here's this man and he looks at Joshua, and he says, neither. Whoa. I'm not for you or your enemy. He says, I have come as commander of the army of the Lord. And immediately Joshua fell face down and said to the man, what message does my Lord have for his servant? And the man stood there and he said, stand up, put on, take off your sandals because the place you are standing is on is holy ground. And we know the rest of the story. It wasn't, it wasn't Joshua that won the battle of Jericho. 
And it wasn't even the priests that blew the trumpets and the people that marched around the city. Who was it that won the victory at Jericho? It was the army of the Lord. Now that reminds me of another story. Elisha is being chased by an army because he, he was leading and exposing the enemy's battle plan. And the king from the opposing army got so angry with him that he sent an army after him. And so Elijah and his servant are in this house. And the house, uh, just a simple little house, and Elijah gets up in the morning, the servant gets up, the servant goes outside and he looks around and they're surrounded by this army. And he runs back in and he tells Joshua or uh, Elijah and Elijah runs out. And comes back in, no problem. And the servant says, "What do you mean no problem?" And Elijah says, well, we've got our army that is going to take care of their army. And servant doesn't know what he's talking about. And so Joshua, or Elijah, says to his servant, go back outside and look, and the Lord will open your eyes to see. And he went back out, and there in the clouds above the other army was the army of the Lord with chariots and angels and seraphim and everything that was necessary to whoop up on that army. Now here's the point. A lot of bad things happening in the world today. I mean, if you look at what's going on, I mean, you just look at the I mean, you, I'm not going to say anything except there's a lot of bad stuff going on. But you know what? There's more angels than there are demons. Only a third of the angels fell with Lucifer. Two-thirds are on our side. So we've got them outnumbered two to one. But more than that, we serve a God who loves us. He loves the world. But he's trying, trying so hard. And when I say hard, James put it this way. God jealously longs for the spirit that he caused to live inside of you. In other words, God wants fellowship with you and me. He's longing for it. He's waiting for us to respond to him. 
He put it this way in Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. He said, Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom. Let not the strong man boast of his strength. Let not the rich man boast of his wealth, but let the one who boasts boast about this, that he has the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight. That's our God. And our God loves us so much that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. Peter said it this way. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you. Leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they ridiculed him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he didn't threaten anyone. But listen to what he did. He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Now, we're going to read some stuff in the next few minutes in chapter 13. For some people, I want to quote a verse of scripture. Don't fear those who can destroy the body, but fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. There's going to be some stuff we're going to read in the next few minutes. It's going to be up here on the screen, and you can read along with me. And forgive the way I'm going to say this, but it just might scare the hell out of you. Because here we have Jesus in his last week. And he's trying to prepare his disciples because in just a few days, he's going to go to the cross. He's going to be buried. He's going to raise from the dead. Then he's going to spend some time with him, and then, boom, he's going to be gone. And he's trying to prepare them, and he's telling them what is going to happen. And he's trying to get them to focus on blocking and tackling prayer and the ministry of the word. That's what's important. Prayer in the ministry of the word is to Jesus what blocking and tackling was to Vince Lombardi, who became one of the greatest coaches that ever lived. Now, 
Let's, let's take a look at Mark chapter 13. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of the disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, and he's referring to the temple, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings? Jesus replied, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. And he's talking about the temple. Now, 70 years later, in 70 AD, or 40 years later, in 70 AD, Rome came in and destroyed the temple. So that already happened. But he's telling them, this is what is going to happen. Don't focus on buildings. By the way, did you know for 300 years, the church did not have a building anywhere? For 300 years, there were no buildings. It wasn't until Constantine came along and converted heathen temples into churches that they began to use buildings. They met publicly and from house to house, but publicly met that they met anywhere they could, in a park, in a catacombs, in a, anywhere they could. So my point is Jesus is trying to get them to make a big paradigm shift from looking at life from man's perspective and begin looking at life from God's perspective. So let's go on. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are about to be fulfilled? Now here is where we have the first word from Jesus that focuses on man's responsibility. Jesus said to them, watch out that no one deceives you. Okay? Watch out that no one deceives you. Now, Paul said the same thing in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. And he says to the Galatians, he says, do not be deceived. Okay? That's what Jesus is saying. Don't let anybody deceive you. Paul says, don't be deceived. And then he says this, God will not be mocked. Could we say that all together? Because I'd love, this, I'd love the sound of that. One, two, three. God will not be mocked. What is? Then he said this. Whatever a person sows, they're going to reap. If they sow to the flesh, they'll reap destruction. If they sow to the spirit, they will reap life. 
Did you know that today God doesn't have to do anything to judge the world? He's forgiven the world. He has wiped the slate clean. He has, from the cross, forgiven everyone. And the Bible says in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5, 19, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's and women's sins against them. So God's day of judgment in that sense, he doesn't have to do anything to judge the world. You know, all he has to do is let us reap what we're sowing. Think about that. What are you sowing? Are you sowing to the flesh or are you sowing to the spirit? Because whatever you're sowing to, don't be deceived. God's not going to be mocked. You're going to reap what you sow. It's that simple. So, Jesus said, watch out that no one deceives you. God's sovereignty, many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. We have no control over that. There's going to be thousands and thousands of people that are out there. They're false prophets. They're telling a story that is contrary to what Jesus taught. And yet they call themselves believers. And Jesus said, that's going to happen. Many of them are going to be all over the place. But don't be deceived. Because he goes on. He says, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. When bad things are happening, you know, Bad things happen. James said it this way, count it all joy in when you face trials and temptations and difficulties of many kinds. And then he says, rejoice and be glad. So trouble is going to come. Jesus said it this way, in the world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. But we don't overcome the world by trying to live the way the world lives. We've got to live his way. God's sovereignty. Such things must happen. But the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. We have no control over any of that. It's all out there. We don't have anything to do with all of the decisions going on in Washington, D.C. Now, yes, we can vote, okay? But that's about the end of it. We're supposed to have a democratic republic, which means we elect the people, and then they go and take care of our business. And we can't do it. That's not what God has called us to do, unless you're called to be somebody like that. No. What is it? 
What does Jesus say? All of that's going to happen out there, okay, way out there. But he says, you inside be on your guard. In other words, keep paying attention to what's going on around you. Be on guard. Be on guard because your, de- uh, your enemy, the devil, goes around like a roaring lion looking for people to devour. Be alert, Peter said. Be alert. Be steadfast. God's sovereignty. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues on account of me. And you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. Wow. Wait a minute. This doesn't line up with my theology. My theology is that God just loves me. God just wants good things to happen to me. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that God will make all things work for good, but he doesn't say all things are going to be good. And that's an important distinction that you've got to make. Because right here he's telling us, we will be handed over to local councils and flogged in the synagogues. That's not very inspiring unless you hear the rest of it. Man's responsibility. And the gospel must be preached in all the earth. What is the gospel? Romans 1.16. The gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. What is the gospel? The gospel is the the message that Jesus died, was buried, and rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, and he rules and reigns today. You say, well, it doesn't look like he's ruling and reigning. Well, you don't see the same angels and armies that Elijah saw. Because they're here today, just like they were thousands of years ago. They're right outside, everywhere. They're in here, around us. The Bible says in Psalms, the angel of the Lord camps round about those who fear him and delivers them. He may not deliver you until you've gone through some fire. But then the Bible says that if you're going to enter the kingdom of God, you've got to go through fire. Jesus talked about a baptism of fire. God's sovereignty. Brother will betray brother. Now you say, well, how's that God's sovereignty? Well, God lets that happen. He's he's given people a free will. And brother is going to betray brother. Sister will betray sister. Father will betray child. Children will betray parents. I mean, there's going to be some bad stuff going on. You're going to think, how can all this happen? Evil is rampant. 
And you can't expect ungodly people to do godly things. Until a person is born again and has the Spirit of God living in them, and even then, we still have this propensity to go our own way. That we have to die to self every single day. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me. Man's responsibility, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down or enter the house to take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that this will not take place in winter because those will be days of distress unequaled from the beginning when God created the world until now and never to be equaled again. You read about what happened in the days of Noah. It says they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage right up to the day that Noah entered the ark and they had no idea what was about to happen to them. That just hours away, the flood was going to come and every one of them were going to be wiped away. And yet, it says here that something worse then that is going to happen. Now, don't get upset. I mean, this is really negative stuff, and I don't mean to be scaring you, but that's what Jesus said, okay? I mean, let's not, I mean, let's not whitewash it. This is what Jesus said. But look what else it says because those will be the days of distress unequaled from the beginning. At that time, if anyone says to you, this is your responsibility, if anybody comes up to you and they're trying to get you to do something that the Bible calls evil, don't do it. No matter how good it sounds, it might be a good scheme in the garden, the Bible says that the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that God had made. People are crafty. People will be trying to entice you. And if you have evil desires in your heart, you will be dragged away and enticed. That's why the Bible says, purify your hearts, you double-minded. Purifying your hearts means getting rid of all of the stuff that doesn't belong in the kingdom of God. And you've got to do it. God doesn't do it for you. 
He guides you. He empowers you. He strengthens you. He teaches you. He instructs you. But he doesn't do it for you. You've got to purify your heart. He'll allow the fire to come. He'll allow the persecution. He'll allow all of the stuff that burns away the bad. But we have to make some decisions. We have responsibility. False messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, the very elect. So be in your guard. I've told you everything ahead of time. But in those days following the distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. And then he says, now learn this lesson from the fig tree. And he's, he's, he's telling us, all of these signs I've given you and I've told you. He said, in the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Rains came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. But it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The same rains came down, the same streams rose, and the same winds blew, and the house fell with a great crash. I want to close with the prayer for serenity. One of the privileges I have here at Cypress Creek Church, I've been doing this since I retired, and that is I lead Celebrate Recovery. As a pastor, I oversee that ministry. We meet every Monday night, 6.30. Usually we have a meal at 6, but we don't because of COVID and all that, but I want to tell you, this prayer, we, we pray this prayer all the time. I pray this, I can't tell you how many times a day I pray this prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. That's all of the things out there. That's where God's sovereignty, you just trust God's sovereignty. You can't change those things. Then it says, the courage to change the things I can. Now, what is that? That's the things inside. That's inside me. That's my life. That's, that's my choices. That's my decisions to follow Jesus and become a disciple of Jesus Christ. 
And then he says, living one day at a time, not worrying about my mistakes in the past and not speculating about the future, but living moment by moment in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Enjoying one moment at a time. Enjoying life because Jesus is alive. Accepting hardships as a pathway to peace. When trouble comes, use the trouble to be the trigger that focuses you to get your eyes on the Lord. And when you get your eyes on the Lord, he gives you peace. A peace, the Bible says, that passes all understanding. The human mind can't comprehend the peace that God gives. Taking as Jesus did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it. In other words, not trying to change everybody and everything and everything out there. Focus on you. Jesus said, don't judge other people. Take care of the plank in your own eye before you try to take the speck of sawdust out of the other person's eye. And then it says, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever." in the next. Amen.